0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, alongside media executive, but a man whose size could easily have him living in a tree, baking cookies for a living, Grail Hallett and Syria uh, ex- <laughs> executive. That's A executive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a Keebler Elf reference. Very good uh, there, Grail, and uh, Syria A uh, specialist an OTB producer, a young man who carries the disposition of an 80-year-old sharecropper, Sam Griswold. Today on <laughs> OTB, we talked to John Christick. This is really interesting, guys, whenever we get to talk to him. Uh, we talked to him last January. Um, he's been on the show before. We always like to talk to him as we head towards a World Cup and World Cup qualifying. John is a, a senior sports marketing executive, more than 25 years of experience working on the the management, sales, marketing of, of all these big, huge, major sporting events, including the World Cup, he's currently the president of Premier Partnerships. So uh, he was involved in that bid, guys. That uh, you know, with the U.S., Canada, Mexico. So. Uh, his involvement in international soccer spans more than two decades, um, and he was even involved in the in the World Cup in '94. So it'll be great to talk to John. Give us a little bit of perspective, uh, what to look forward to as we're you know coming out of this pandemic and moving towards uh, to, towards our World Cup. John, so,
2: John and I first met in '94, actually, when
1: I was at Sports Illustrated
2: because we worked on a. Uh, project together when he was working on world cup 94 and a lot of a lot of those people are still around they're still in the business the people from 94 moved on to mls and other soccer related entities
1: well what was so interesting talking to him because we've already recorded it you know to see the growth of the game in this country in 94 we sort of talk about it as the watershed event the the mark that sort of started professional soccer, world soccer, you know, in this country. And so um, it's been interesting to talk to John, you know, about how everything has matured, the deals are coming together, and and how maybe our big, another big, huge event for us, obviously, will be uh, the World Cup that we're hosting. So, all right, before we get to that, we got a lot going on. We got friendlies and uh, Olympic qualifiers and Champions League action. World Guys, Cup what you... qualifiers. World Cup <laughs> qualifiers. What are you over today on uh, on Over the Ball?
3: Well, speaking of that, I'm over World Cup qualifiers. Uh, you know, I. Uh... There's
1: that
2: 80 year old sharecropper. <laughs> Sam right wants there. friendly. Sam would rather have a good friendly than a World Cup no, qualifier.
3: I no, I don't want any international games right now, if I'm honest. <laughs> One, I'm on vacation. I want a little break. But two, I mean, it's I know. It's not all that... about
2: you, Sam. Sam, it's so nice of you to join us today on your vacation. I
3: know everything's been messed up by COVID, but like, we haven't even had the Euro yet, and we're already doing World Cup qualifying. I mean, it's just. I don't know. Well, I, I like I like the general trajectory. You do the euro. You you know, don't do well or you do well, and you sort of
1: regroup. It, it's,
3: everything's
2: different. It's just
3: weird. Yeah, but I think that.
1: the pandemic has changed yeah. everybody's calculus. Um, no,
3: I, I I get it, but I it's just a bit much.
1: Okay, you can be over stuff that we're not over with you. That's okay. That's <laughs> all right to yeah. do. Grail, what are you over today?
2: I am over the oversimplification of the women's equal pay argument. And yeah. I, I, right. I just I, I just think that I, I think that Megan Rapino is being a little bit disingenuous by making it an apples to apples comparison. And I just right. don't want people to be disappointed. That's all I'm wondering. Because when all is said and done, the women are not gonna get paid the exact same amount as the men and people need to explain wh- and we'll get why? Uh, we'll, we'll get Professor Bank back on the show to explain it but why that's happening and it makes perfect sense and it's nothing against women but there are revenues tied to it that need to be explained to people
1: well and that's that's your right in your wheelhouse Grail and I've said yeah. this before I think What you just mentioned, the misrepresentation or the lack of a fact put forward, like they cover your health care, like they pay $10 million to the women's league off the top, you know, the U.S. soccer. This is all money. Look, you know, and I've said this before on this show, uh, you know, most people I talk to don't know those two facts at all. Right. They don't say that, you know, the insurance is covered. They have maternity leave. They have guaranteed contracts, which the men don't have. There's It's it's apples to oranges. And yeah. they just don't say that. And here they are. No one has learned anything moving forward. She goes out and, and doesn't mention those facts. So it you and I, and you've been a huge proponent, um, I love Braille, of the women's sports. game. Oh, and, and. totally. Uh, I would say this, we were appalled that the women were not treated equally as far as air travel, a fair, hotels, fields. That's all stuff that's got to totally yeah. be the same, absolutely equal. But if you look at that revenue, you can't blame the men's team or the U.S. soccer for the fact that men's World Cups bring in so much more money than women's World Cups. Um, and that, you know, America does lead it, it, the women's sports movement it, across the world. So yeah. to say, she said, well, we win all the time. It's like, yes, you win. But it's, yeah. again, that's even Apple's well, stuff. Oranges.
2: Just very quickly, this is the issue I have. The women are going to make significant gains in this process. By setting it up as an all or nothing proposition, those gains will be negated in the court of public opinion because we they've been misled into believing that the women are going to earn the exact same amount as the men. And I just think that is not being fair
1: to everyone. I want to see her make that argument yeah. that the WNBA should get the same amount as the NBA. And when you you make that argument, it's like people are like, what are you, crazy? No, it doesn't yeah. work that way. So it's all revenue uh, derived. And if it's not there, again, I've said to people over and over, do you want to support the women's league? Uh, that is the best way to help the women's national yeah. team is get a, a viable league in this country.
2: And we we are all three huge proponents of the women's game. And we want the women to get the same percentage of the total revenue that the men get, but they cannot mathematically get the same amount of money. It just will not
1: work. Well, not if they continue to get to get their health care, the 10 million guarantees, the no-cut contracts, that you know, so it's sort of it's yeah. They've asked for those things through the Players Association, and they—they're not sort of admitting it in—in in, in open court. I, I still think it's a—it's a sort of a, a Title Nine argument, for the free market, and the Title Nine argument does not work in a free market. It's sort of like you got to put asses in the seats, and and you know, uh, and that's how it happens. Look, I have said this before in the show. Didn't make any money as a professional soccer player. You know why? Because we only had five thousand people coming to games. Was, you know, it was I couldn't demand money from it. It's like we were happy to be playing. So as the revenue has gone up and attendance has gone up in men's soccer, uh, the it, the money has gone up as well for for yeah. the guys. And there's been more opportunities, and I think that will happen as well. Though I don't ever think that uh, you know, may hopefully the women's domestic league is on par with the with MLS eventually. But who knows, if you look at other sports, male to female, it, it doesn't match up. So I don't know if that's uh, sexist on our part thinking, but in this con- current no, culture, again, it's we, like, you we know, we must reiterate,
2: we are very pro
1: the women's game and right. we
2: want what's best for them.
1: But we also so, want
2: this story to be straight.
1: Right, exactly. And not misrepresent things. And it seems like the media is just going along with it. So anyway, so guys, I think Grail, you watch the... Um, the Olympic qualifier yesterday, U.S. Mexico. I did uh, last night. Um, not a bad performance by the U.S. A terrible giveaway uh, in the back.
2: Yeah, um, Soto, the forward who decided to come back and help
1: out, and well, no, actually, yeah. actually, he did. He did nothing but the opposite. Well, I, I, I'd say this: a uh, a defender or even a midfielder. I, doesn't have the casualness with laying a ball off like that, that a forward might have in the the attacking third of the field. So he gave it away in a terrible spot. It was too bad. I think Mexico had the most of the play, not most, but a a, a greater majority of the play, but um you know, I thought they were more dangerous. I thought they created more chances.
2: It was your you Tuna on the outside yeah, the match oh yeah, he was well, he nutmegged at least five different guys during the game. but uh, Chivas. It, it was uh, it was just um it was a chippy affair as you would expect between these two teams, forty fouls and only two yellow cards. Give it out. So the ref, I will say this, the ref let them play. The only problem is that uh, you know certain guys were just were just getting hacked out there.
1: Well, you know, I, I think that my my view is that it wasn't as a hacky affair as a U.S. Mexico matchup can be sometimes. And you know, it's interesting we've it was talked chippy. about it, it wasn't
2: it was chippy. chippy. You're yeah. always going to have chippies, yeah. but there yeah. wasn't
1: that sort of everybody wants to fight at every every turn. No headbutts or anything. any of that stuff. But uh, no, just the aggressive nature of what happens. And I think I've talked about this before, where a lot of these guys on the U.S. and the Mexico team know each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you know we've had Mike Guaitola and uh, Paul Gardner on this show from Soccer America, one of our sponsors. They've talked about the Latin influence, how it's been sort of um, maligned or not used to the, its full advantage here in this country. Developing young Hispanic players, looking at that that uh, Olympic qualifying team, it, it's the Hispanic influence is there. It, it oh, yeah. really is there. Have a lot of a uh, lot of those players, and they all knew each other,
2: right? So it all comes down to Sunday, either uh, Canada or Honduras. I believe, I, I, I don't think that's been determined yet. We're going to play one of those two teams. And um, we're just watching the post game, Alexi was actually going with the Canada matchup as being better for the, the U.S. than Honduras, just because he didn't think they're playing as well at the moment. But uh, that's it. That We either win that game or we do not go to
1: Tokyo. Unbelievable. And uh, I don't think we've gone in a while either. So, you know, so speaking of sort of these US players and the Mexican players knowing each other, uh, you know, being familiar with each other, playing for the galaxy or, or, you know, or Chivas, um, there was some interesting news. Uh, Johnny Infantino, uh, Grail, you want to talk about that? Talking about MLS and Liga MX. Mm -hmm.
2: Well, yeah he just uh i thought it was a really interesting quote you can hear it, his papers
1: he, rattling sam he's like he's studying well, no for a, no well a, you know a, a, i'm going final. i'm
2: going to the sheet because i want to get the quote i like to quote people accurately oh wow um, really that's so, so, so at their re at their the most recent fifa council meeting uh mls and Liga mx was brought up and he said if you could bring the us and mexico together it would be incredible and that could quite well be the best league in the world. Now, I'm not quite wow. willing to go that far. However, you would have like a meshing of talent that is, is pretty substantial.
1: Well, and you have a precursor to that because yeah. of the World Cup that's coming here. It's a you know, three-country World Cup. We talked to John Christick about that as well. Yeah. Maybe that would be a good launching pad at that point, public relations-wise, to have uh, you know the Mexico, U.S., and Canada come together because Canada is already involved in MLS. Um, that would be pretty big. It seems like it's, it seems like it's happening. I think uh, the
3: regional league is maybe a little ambitious. I would definitely like to see more collaboration and more kind of cohesiveness in terms of a, a continental tournament, something like that, like a Champions League. that we covered... are always
1: pushing those tournaments every week. Yeah,
3: someone someone's going to like one one day. But uh, <laughs> I, I think the league is just, amb- you know, we, we mentioned earlier when we were talking to John how players come over here and get a little turned off by how much they have to travel, how long the sure. flights are. I mean, you're talking about a huge you know area that you're this is like the khl
1: or something you know yeah but you're talking miami beach you're talking la you know you're talking these great cities (laughs) yeah i've already
2: got the name for the new league it will be the mlls the major league liga soccer how do you like that you don't say liga twice people think you're well yeah well no i mean you get but you got to have both names represented right yeah. And uh, and the MX thing just confuses people, I think.
1: So we got to maybe get that out of the mix. All right, cool. So uh, Champions League quarterfinal draws. Uh, the next matchups are April sixth and seventh. Oh, he goes to his notes again, Sam. Do you hear that? We <laughs> yeah. this guy. This guy's uh, he it's didn't study last work. night. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I hope we brought number I'll two pencils. Be,
2: I'll try to. Be, I'll try to be a little quieter next time. No, I just uh, you know, of course, the pundits are going crazy because of the matchups, right? And and the uh, the past history and whatever. So you got, you know, Man City against Dortmund and uh, you know, that's going to be a matter I think of Holland has just been incredible for that boy's
1: a stud. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So
2: can, so can, can Man City's uh, back four contain him? Uh, You've got Real Madrid versus Liverpool. And of course that will always bring back memories of the Ramos body slam of Mo Salah, Early in that game, and anybody and, who
1: played the game knew. Yeah, well, he, knew it, was a, was it was
2: a wrestling move, right? He got right. his arm wrapped, his arm up, and then basically fell on him. Right. So Salah came out of that game early, and it changed the collection of that yeah. whole game, right? That was back in uh, eighteen uh, Porto Chelsea. You know, it, it, that's just a matter, I think, of which team maintains their momentum. I mean, Porto having you know knocked off Juve and Chelsea gotten rid of uh, atletico so that'll be that and then Bayern psg a replay of last year's final i mean wow. here we go
1: that's some interesting stuff that's gonna be a lot of fun to watch i think it'll uh, be
2: great and, and then that's you know those are the first legs are april 6th and 7th and then they play the second legs on the 13th and 14th so a lot of good soccer those two weeks
1: and uh bundesliga lawandowski but just lighten it up man
2: uh well oh he goes to his notes again oh my god no 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 no. first first of all these stats I was actually when I was reading this I was really astounded by the numbers so I mean Lewandowski right now you know he scored another hat trick I feel like he scores like a hat trick every other uh, every other game but so he is now only second to Gerd Müller That Toby Jug of a center forward for the Toby Jug. Explain that (laughs) reference. Well, no, he's a very—he was a very stout for guys that remember Gert Muller. He was about five five, and just he was just like so low to the ground. He's like Barry Sanders, man. Couldn't be knocked off the ball. Anyway, so he ended up with Muller ended up with three hundred sixty-five goals in four hundred twenty-seven matches. And uh, Lewandowski currently is at 271 goals in 346 matches, and he actually has—he's—he's he's got 35 Bundesliga goals this year, and the record for goals in a season league goals is 40 by hit by uh, Gerd Muller in 1972. So he's got a shot at breaking that record, which is pretty extraordinary.
1: I mean, you know, is it because of the messy Ronaldo era that? Lewandowski has not been given his due. It seems like, I mean, everyone knows he's a great player, but the numbers he's putting up are incredible and it seems like he's always a bit overshadowed.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I kind of brought that up a couple of weeks ago. I feel like, and Benzema is the same way, but Lewandowski is just, to me is like, he's, he, he's going to end up. I'm not sure that he's going to be on the Mount Rushmore, but he's going to end up being like a, you know, top 10 to 15 player of all time, potentially.
1: All right, we're looking at uh, La Liga a little bit here. The Spanish media has dubbed uh, the best and the best for Sergino Dest and <laughs> Lionel Messi. I Very love good it. rhyme. <laughs> I know. Well, Barca, just a 6-1 trouncing, of real sociodad. So So, um, you know, things looking up a little bit uh, at Barca, um, unbeaten in the last 18 matches and only four points behind Atletico. So for all the tumult that we've talked about here... Yeah. On this, uh, they're still making it happen. And then, World Cup qualifying. Did we get a definitive answer on Zlatan? He was. He said he wanted to come out of international retirement at the age of thirty-nine to represent Sweden against Georgia in, uh, and not the state of Georgia, which has been in the news so so much over the exactly. last couple of months. But uh, they're playing the the country of Georgia in Stockholm on Thursday. So is he playing or yeah. not? Do we do we get confirmation on that? My, look, my
2: understanding as of yesterday when I read this story was that he was. Playing. I mean, I know yeah, he's been he's been called up. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, 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 don't, absolutely. I, I mean, Zlatan, let's be fair. If you're Sweden, you're probably not going to say no to Zlatan. I'm sure there's some players who are like, wait a second, the guy hasn't played. You know, he's taken my spot. Trust me.
1: Well, that doesn't count. The
2: Sweden the Sweden's federation will say there's a lot time we'll be playing.
1: Taking my spot. Professional (laughs) players don't talk like that. It's sort of like, oh, is your mother gonna call the the coach? What's gonna happen?
3: Get involved. I I think it's very exciting. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm sort of split on Ibra. I know a lot of he's you know has such a devoted following, but you know, he when he retired from Sweden, I thought the Swedish team got better because they played more as a team. And watching him play with Milan week in week out and said yeah i mean when he's on the field it's a completely different team and they're a much right. better team there's no question he's made that team better but then he's hurt and he misses 3 or 4 games and they just don't have it and you kind of see they've had this youth movement or they're trying to get younger and like bring guys through and they they just haven't had to shoulder the responsibility yet and they're not there so i think right. he can be a little bit of a hindrance in a way and i don't think like milan i don't think sweden should be I don't think if you're relying on a 39 year old to sort of change your fortunes, you have a great plan for the future. Hey, Roger Mila, you he, know, he's the, still the,
2: good, you know, but he's still, oh, he's still good. got, I mean, it. he's still playing, not, playing at the top I of I level to park. His age off to the side, because I don't mm-hmm. care if he's 45. I mean, if he's still productive and he's still dangerous playing up front, I, I I'll say that. You know, that goal that he scored against Sweden going back six, seven, whatever, many years. I don't know if you remember that. England. I mean, sorry, the goal he scored for Sweden against England. Yeah. That overhead kick was one of the top five. Well, that's that's the difference. Sweden are boring to
3: watch without him, but they maybe do a little better. They're very entertaining when he's in the lineup, but maybe not as effective.
1: Well, Sam's point, I think, Sam, your point was, you know, to Grail is like basically when Zlatan is in the game, they change the way they play, and sure. so this is this is the same thing they're talking about with Ronaldo. Do you yeah. do you put a team together, or do you put a team together to support Ronaldo? And if you look at another sport, I almost see it as like a, a Michael Jordan. I said he was just so disruptive; everything had to go through him. That mm-hmm. in the early years they couldn't quite win because it, guys weren't running oh. off the ball and things. So so um, I, you know that's one of the ones where you can't say no to Zlatan really at this level, how do you use him and how does he affect the chemistry of the team? So I think that yeah. will become apparent, but you know, one thing you can't deny is the guy's a winner. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I love the fact that he played MLS and, you know, did well. And now he goes back overseas and plays well and is playing in a national team again. So it's not I, like I was... also,
2: I also loved his quote because you know, he had played in the 2002 and 2006 world cups, but didn't score. So he is his quote entering this match is, that is something I will beat because I can't have a zero.
1: So just it's just it, that's a,
2: all, th- all these lots I can say. It's like, it is so self-serving, but there you go.
1: Uh, the man's all about ego. And I think that's yeah. what makes great players sometimes. Yeah. The mm-hmm. the desire to just to, to really do it, not just be normal, run of the mill. Um, I, I wanted one thing to quickly mm-hmm. comment on, Grail. This is sort of in your wheelhouse. Uh, the new WSL Women's Super League—they have a new TV deal. A lot of money. This is yeah, going to change they just, things. They isn't?
2: just did a—they just signed a, a big deal with Sky Sports and BBC. Twenty-one million pounds um, mm-hmm. over three years, and it's—it's um, it's a landmark deal. Um, they'll, it'll be the WSL will become. Uh, a more watched league than both the WNBA and the NWSL, which is our domestic league here with they, those leagues average about hundred thousand viewers per week. Um, they'll show, Sky's going to show a minimum of 31, uh, 35 matches and a maximum of 44. BBC's going to air 22 games. The remaining 75 games will be on the, uh, the FA streaming service. The games are going to be on like Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings or Saturday, late morning, noon, Friday and Sunday at 630. So it's all very uh, fan friendly, TV viewer friendly, which is really smart. And the best thing about it for the clubs is they're guaranteed 75 percent of the TV revenue to the main WSL clubs. And then for the second tier WSL, which is their championship league, they'll get 25 percent.
1: (laughs) So- You know, this just so, comes on the heels of what we're talking about with Megan Rapino. This is the money now, whether it, yeah. it they pull it off because you can sponsor a league, you can get a TV deal, people have to watch. I mean, yeah. You know. So so that obviously doesn't even factor
2: in any of the sponsorship dollars. But if if I'm the commissioner of the NWSL, I'm I'm worried because if you're a marquee player, the all the money is going
1: to be over in Europe. Right. Right. They were starting to move over there anyway. Yeah. So a lot of yeah. So but it's again grand.
2: again, this is fantastic for the women's professional game, I think, because it's just more money flowing in and backing them up and, and believing in them.
1: And when you make when money comes in, then you can ask for more money. That's just kind of yeah. the way it works. So uh, hey, we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week, guys, but um you know uh rabona goal against arsenal um i don't remember that being an option when i was playing
2: uh i I would have kicked since i'm right-footed i would have kicked the my achilles attempting to do that because i I, i'm gonna be straight up i didn't have that move in in my bag of tricks
1: sam when when was the first time you were aware of the rabona Rabona, uh, I was aware pretty
3: early of that because yeah. uh, growing up out here on the vineyard, there's a big Brazilian community and a lot of those kids uh, had a lot of tricks up their sleeves. Right, So right. Um, Thank God yeah. they don't play
1: the ball one touch so you can catch up to them after exactly. they make you. Yeah. You know? but, <laughs> but I would say, you know, I used to watch, uh, you know, goalkeepers are really great penalty kick takers. They, yeah. Because they, they, they practice on each other over and over and over. And I remember when I was young, uh, a goalkeeper coach, basically faking out everybody by hitting a Rabona on a pe- on a PK and pretty much just dusting the keeper every time. Yeah. So uh, I, I amazing, saw it back then, but I never saw it executed. Well, the in a amazing game like thing that.
2: about Lamella's Rabona is usually when somebody does a Rabona, it elevates because you're kicking down yeah. on the ball. You're kind yeah. of kicking almost like a wedge in, in golf. Up. Mm-hmm. This thing skimmed along the turf at yeah. high speed and went through a sea of players right into the corner. I mean, it was incredible. So, so, yeah, so I wanted to ask you guys, which do you think is, we're all, all three of us are players from were. a technique and difficulty, yes. degree of difficulty, which do you think is the toughest? Rabona, bicycle kick, or scorpion, which I've seen Olivier Giroud score.
1: Oh, I can do the scorpion. I you used to be scor- able to, man. You, you know, the hey, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this the first time I hit a, I was working on a scorpion. Uh, in a gym at the University of Massachusetts and I'm flipping the ball up and then jumping on my hands, you know, and then I basically flip the ball up, do a scorpion, you know, kind of a, through a handstand, basically. Right. I hit a rocket first time, you know, that I had really connected like that, hit my heel and just rifles across the gym floor. There's a guy jogging, <laughs> all right, on the wall. It hits him in the head. I swear to God, the ball, the ball hit him. I think it hit him twice. It went like, boom, boom. (laughs) The guy hit, hit him in the head. He hit the wall, bounced back and fell down. And he looked up and was like, what the hell was that? I'm like, dude. I couldn't do that again in a million years. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. <laughs> that, that was my scorpion. But um, he, had, he had to I enter know. the concussion protocol after that. I would say, I don't know, all three are, are difficult in their
3: I own think own I, I think the bicycle is the most difficult just because of the timing nature of it. Um, yeah. I think the scorpion is like, it's cool, but it's also a little fortuitous. It's kind of like, all right, I've missed this ball. I'm just going to like throw something yeah. at it. I think... Yeah. The uh, the intention necessary for the bicycle kick makes. Who it was the Colombian impressive. keeper that
1: used to clear the ball with the scorpion?
2: I think. Uh, oh, was it uh, Higuita? Hair. Higuita? Higuita, yeah, Higuita. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh yeah, he I used mean, to it's do, like, Dude, He used, catch he did, the ball. He did yeah. one of those handstand clearances. I forgot about that. Yeah, I think they're all. I I, I would. I, I've done bicycle kicks, so I know I can do that. I know for a fact I cannot do a rabona. And I've never tempted a scorpion in a game, to be honest with you, because if it doesn't come off, you look like okay, such yeah, yeah. a jackass.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I tried to back heel a ball into the net once, and the goal the goalie just kind of looked down at it picked it up with one hand. I'm like, okay, <laughs> didn't get enough on that. Apparently. <laughs> so, uh, all right, guys, let's take a break there, and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to John Christic, uh, Premier Partnerships. Uh, guys, a wealth of knowledge. Really enjoyed our interview with him. So stick around. You're listening to Over the Ball. Over the ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to socceramerica.com/join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to ticketiq.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now and over the ball, he's the president of Premier Partnerships. He's a, uh, a senior sports marketing executive with more than twenty-five years of experience. He's worked in management, sales, uh, marketing of major sports properties. That includes, of course, the World Cup. So I always, always, like, to, always like to talk to you, John, as we're uh, we're getting our our way towards a World Cup. Uh, you know, prior to this, prior to joining Premier Partnerships, you were an executive director of the United Bid Committee for the Canada, Mexico, and United States bid. Um, And your involvement in soccer spans more than two decades. So we're happy to have you back, John Christic, to Over the Ball. How are you, man?
0: I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, Thrilled to be here and uh, hope everyone's doing doing well.
1: You know, so it's a really interesting job you have. It's basically, you know, selling these VIP sponsorships and so many other things that surround these big events. And the biggest, I think, in the world is the World Cup. So uh, here we are, we're moving towards a cup and the world is in tumult. Uh, with COVID. And uh, we talked to you last January, uh, you know, uh, which was a little early um, in the planning stage, or maybe not, you're probably right in the middle of it when COVID hit. So how has that changed uh, your preparation and and your whole approach to the World Cup?
0: It's it's hard to believe uh, how the past year has just really been a blur, given all what we've all gone through and continue to emerge from as it relates to COVID. But you know, the FIFA awarded the, the World Cup to Canada, Mexico, and the US of June and 20 of June in June of 2018. Uh, and you know, part of the commitment as part of the bid was that uh, a day wouldn't be lost to start to take advantage of the tremendous opportunity that it brought uh, the, the three countries. Uh, plus, we should never underestimate the amount of organization and planning that goes into uh, an event of this magnitude, not the least of which one that would be the largest ever, you know, with the uh, with the 4018 uh, format. Uh, but clearly, you know, because of COVID, there, there was, uh, you know, naturally some some delay. But, you know, it's, it's pleasing to hear and see firsthand, particularly in the last several months, you know, FIFA has done everything possible to keep the ball moving. Uh, they've been engaging with the respective cities uh, to uh, carry out their due diligence and, you know, assess not only the infrastructure of the stadiums, but the commitments of the, the cities across the wider set of responsibilities that, that come with being a host. And that's going on as we speak. Uh, and there is a timetable right now uh, that FIFA's uh, you know, hoping to achieve by the end of the year that they'll be able to announce who the final host cities will be. Because for those of your listeners uh, who were close to the bid, and I realize that may not be everybody, we had a unique uh offering in our bid a it was a joint bid with two other countries but we exceeded the number of candidate host cities that were uh were necessary because there was such a demand so there are 23 cities currently in the running and i think the general assumption is that there'll probably be 16 that will ultimately host uh so when you take away the three that are already committed from canada The three that are already committed from Mexico, uh, that leaves 10 to be identified in the US out of a group of 17. So that's where is spending the bulk of its energies right now is that group of 17 and kind of kicking the tires and looking under the tent uh, to to try to move towards the December decisions.
2: Grail. Uh, John, great having you on with us as always. Um, So regarding the cities, uh, just in general terms, obviously the best laid plans, Um, always go asunder with different uh, difficult circumstances. I'm just curious just broadly how the U.S. venues have adapted to this world of COVID and what kind of of plans they've had to put in place.
0: Yeah well certainly it's impacted the event and hospitality industry probably as much as as any industry on the planet Uh, because ultimately you know these are industries that are about socialization you know about being close and celebrating and everything else uh so that being said i, I think that the protocols and the best practice that you've seen coming out of uh, our leagues and our cities and you know and i'll point to one if you look at the success out of orlando uh in terms of what they've been able to uh put forward you know around the uh the nba bubble around major league soccer's bubble Uh, I think you've seen a continued trend with a lot of the national team matches uh, that have been going there for for, for men and and women, uh, not only the U.S., but but other countries as well. You know, I think these are things that, you know, are going to help us all come out of this even stronger, because I think these were the word pandemic is something that our generation is going to be living with, you know, for many years to come. Uh, And we certainly are, are optimistic that this one is going to pass and there's more vaccines, Come about? I think we're more confident that uh, we're going to get back into a uh, an environment with people in stands and people, at least people socially engaging. But the lessons we're learning are, you know, they're set for good. Payless, payless, uh, you know, or touchless payments and all of the things that we've all talked about for many years are are now in place. You know, you, you go into stadiums now and you're not having the, the physical contact that you had before. Uh, there's more protocols in place uh, than ever before. And I, again, I think that's positive. And I think those are things, even the big event promoters, even people like FIFA and others, that they'll benefit from this.
2: Yeah, so, ju- just, so ju- I'm sorry, just piggybacking on that quickly. So you think um, because of the situation we've kind of been forced to deal with, that regardless of kind of where we are, you know, pandemic wise, when, when the event rolls around, that there will just be more stringent protocols in place as kind of yeah. a byproduct of what we've been going through? No, I
0: do. I think yeah. this is accelerated innovation. I mean, I don't think anyone would have hoped, you know, <laughs> for, for a pandemic to do so. But uh, I, I do think that you've seen an acceleration of, of innovation, particularly on the technology side, uh, you know, in term, and you, you see it, I, I think if you just look in your backyard or your neighborhood with with how many, you know, restaurants and shops are now able to transact in an online efficient service, I think arguably, if it wouldn't been for the pandemic, they may not have, you know, made those investments and may not have opened up those channels of distribution. And I think that expands, you know, clearly into the sports and hospitality sector as well. So again, trying to look for the silver lining, mm-hmm. uh, but, but I do believe that, that those are some positive things that will come out that we won't go backwards. We'll continue to go, go forward on this.
1: I've heard from more than one person talking about how they're going to continue to wear a mask even after this is over, because a lot of people haven't had a head cold or a flu or the flu. I think you're right. Yeah.
0: Like, I, I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, as someone, and I'm sure many of you as well, you know, I've traveled, traveled the world a fair bit. I mean, the, the masks have been common practice in, in many parts of the world, particularly in, in Asia, for for decades. Uh, and I think we as Westerners maybe have walked around and kind of looked at them a little cock yeah. I think now we get it.
1: <laughs> right. So so when the cup comes here, and that's yep. a ways off, the, do you think there'll still be some sort of fallout and some ramifications from this, this COVID crisis? Uh, because I mean, look, when you deal with, with three countries, America is big enough as it is, you know, coast to coast, a lot of foreign players come here and they're like, wow, how long is the plane flight? Um, that's a special thing to have, uh, you know, Mexico and Canada as well. It's a huge surface area. You're talking about immigration. Uh, has it just made it a, th- a three country bid, has that made your job harder or or is it just the same, same old, same old?
0: Well, I don't think there'll be, I mean, you mentioned, you heard fallback, fallout. Uh, I think no one will take anything for granted. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think scenarios that, you know, five years ago, two years ago, you know, that we could have, you know, uh, talked about, we always said, yeah, but that's never going to happen. I I think now we will all look at those things a little bit differently, you know, and certainly it's going to impact, you know, a a lot of issues, you know, as it relates to, I mean, you take the, the term first force majeure, which is in everybody's contract and it's usually scanned over pretty quickly. Now there's a lot more focus on that. You know, your insurances that are going to be set up around major events for postponement and cancellation because of, Uh, things such as this, yeah, that's going to make things, you know, more difficult. So those will be areas that are going to get a lot more scrutiny going forward, but all issues that are are surmountable. uh, And quite frankly, uh, I don't see any of them uh, inhibiting these events from from continuing. Uh, I think we're obviously talking about an event here that is still six years away or five years away. It's hard to believe how quickly it's going. Yeah. uh so i think we're all confident with the uh the roadmap uh that we have ahead of us uh yeah this is uh the, the new normal
1: and and you're selling packages and and sponsorships to the cutter world cup as well i, I it feels like there's going to be a real release people you know the renaissance that happens perhaps after the last pandemic not that we remember but um but maybe they'll be you know look I, you mentioned the kind you know the entertainment industry that's that's all i do you know comedy and mm-hmm. restaurants and and comedy clubs it's like they've all shuttered down so i think when this is over there will be a real release and yeah know, people We're, will take those uh, checks and go to cutter no you're we,
0: we we just uh announced a partnership with uh the, the partner to fifa called a company called match uh match uh control the commercial hospitality rights worldwide uh, for the, the World Cup in Qatar. And they've done this previously with, with, with FIFA. And we, along with uh, our partner, Elevate uh, Sports Ventures, have formed a, a partnership to exclusively sell the commercial hospitality. So uh, that opportunity for a fan or to to attend the event in Qatar and get a ticket and get premium seats, whether it's a suite, whether it's a club seat and all that, and we just launched the, the the sales a few weeks ago, and I, I have to say we certainly played the looked at the calculus that you just talked through. It's an event in mm-hmm. 2022. It's as you know, it's unique. It's at the end of the year as opposed to in in, in the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in a unique part of the world. There's uh, never been a World Cup before where you could stay in one hotel and see six stadiums within 45 minutes of each other. Right.
3: Uh,
0: and yes, with COVID. Uh, but I must say the early demand has just been off the charts. And I, and I right. do believe it is for the exact reason that, that you said. I think people look far enough forward. Uh, it's the World Cup. Uh, they think that they, there's got to be enough vaccines in everyone's arms by that point that I think there is a confidence uh, that this will be an amazing coming out party for the world. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, from that standpoint, I think we, we are very positive and, and hopefully things continue on the track that they're they're on right now.
1: All right. Well, hopefully OTB and the staff here gets a, a big discount for some of the big packages <laughs> you know, that not, coming anybody? over <laughs> here. <in>. <laughs> <laughs> that live, movie. live from wow. Cutter, OTB. Yeah, exactly. So Sam, you have a question? For yeah. Um,
3: John, building off what you just mentioned, um, I was wondering if you could just talk about the sort of the difficulty or the contrast of selling the smallest World Cup ever and then turning your attention to the biggest world cup ever in terms of teams you know distances etc that must have been a just a real contrast
0: well it it is and i think that's the beauty of the world cup is is each one has its own unique characteristics and personalities but you know but at the heart of it it's still football you know it's still football it's the coming together of the you know, the biggest and the smallest countries in the world to, to compete in, a, you know, a, a party celebration for, you know, a, a month and a half. So I think that common thread is, is what really I've always enjoyed with every World Cup from USA in 94, all the way up until the most recent one uh, in Russia is once they get going that that celebration you know is just remarkable to to experience uh no doubt 26 you know you know is again it's hard to believe that we're, we're only five years out for it right now yeah. uh the amount of coordination that will be required across the the three countries uh it is a vast continent you know when you think about the uh, the, the distance between and everything else but on the other hand everything's in place you know, the, the stadiums are there, the roads are there, the airports are there, the hotels and accommodations are there. So it's a great event for FIFA. It's a great event for the organizers and I think for fans to really focus on the game. You know, what's the legacy? You know, Everyone always talks about legacy and too often you think about legacy as starting after the event. But I think the legacy starts now, and I think that's the challenge, you know, for, for U.S. soccer, the Mexican Federation, Canadians. How do we harness all of this and, and, and really, you know, uh, use this once in a generation, you know, event in our continent to to really grow the game, to, to really excel uh, in areas that maybe we couldn't do with our World Cup.
1: You know, and I think you talk about precedent and, uh, you know, the 94 World Cup was incredibly successful. We have the infrastructure here in this country more so than any other country with our stadiums. Uh, So you have a tough act to follow, don't you, John, to sort of set those numbers uh, with an even more successful uh, three-country World Cup. Sure.
0: I mean, World Cup in 94, you you forget it was uh, 52 matches, 24 teams nine venues, uh, yet still, I don't know whether it's number one anymore, but it's pretty darn close. It might still be number one in terms of the most tickets uh, that were ever sold, uh, even though the World Cup expanded to the uh, uh, larger format in uh, 98 and obviously the the, the new format of 48 teams uh, for 2026. So hands down, new records will be set. Uh, Commercially, this will be the most successful uh, World Cup uh, ever. Uh, there's, there's no denying that, you know, given the the size of the facilities, uh, given the strength of uh, the the commercial market here. So, uh, nice. I think that's the, that's kind of the the, the easy part is managing the 30 day competition, ensuring that the seats are full and you know everyone has a great, safe, wonderful experience around the sport. And the players will take care of themselves, I'm sure. It's the bigger picture to me is what can we do with the game? You forget MLS wasn't launched in '94. Right. mls was a was a legacy that was one of the mm-hmm. uh commitments that you know fifa made clear to uh, u.s soccer at the time as they wanted to see a pro league you know come out of 94 so you look at the pro league now that we have okay and it's still young i mean i right. i i, I rem- remember just what a year or so ago all the nfl guys were wearing patches that said 100 years mm-hmm. okay which was a great celebration you know mls yeah. is a baby it's 30 yeah. years barely uh, so to me, where can we go, you know, with that? And yeah, there's all sorts of, you know, I think you guys mentioned even your, your pre-remarks to me, you know, there's talks now is would MLS ever, you know, look at, you know, joining up with, uh, League MX, Okay. We already yeah. have Canada. Could you have a North American league? The fact that they're talking about it to me is fantastic. It's, it's another legacy that, that we could see. Is it at 30,000 foot? It's a great idea. And I think everyone would say, yeah, you really get it. I mean, I think yeah. that the devil's in the details of how they, how they actually pull it off. But you've got the right levels of the, uh, the organizations thinking about this. And to me, that would be a remarkable legacy uh, if coming out of 26, you know, yeah. you could look at forming that level of uh, uh, Continental League uh, with the three countries.
1: And 94 was a real booster shot for the game in this country, and it really sort of put it on the map. And we're growing from there. I mean, it, it seems like that's ground zero a little bit. Even though, like guys like Rail and I were involved years before that. It didn't seem to really start. It's like BC and AD, yeah. you know, after after the after the World FWC. So yeah. um, you know, and I see the World Cup as these sort of clothespins to keep interest going, whether it's the the women's yeah. side or the men's side, and. Mm. I see this as a huge clothespin. I mean, this is this yeah. can just lift it up to the next level where people are I finally. I use to term realizing. North Star. You know, mm-hmm. I, right. Me, it
0: really, it really is that the the North Star itself. Uh, mm-hmm. And you know, I, I see it because. My role right now I, I still stay very close to a lot of the uh, the cities uh, and again, that term can be overly simplified I think just cities. The amount of stakeholders you need in a community to be a host for a World Cup is phenomenal, you know between your facilities, between your city government, between your CVB, between your airport authority, but to see the level of engagement around not only this event but this sport right now across so many cities, you know, in our country has never been that way before. Okay. And it's maintained itself from the first time I called, quite frankly, I could go all the way back to when I called them to take part in the 2018-22 bid, uh, which as you know, we did not win. Uh, but you know, the, the, amount of support we, the, <laughs> the amount of support we had on that bid uh, was remarkable. And then to think of all the controversy and the time that was spent between the 1822 decision and then when the decision was made to bid for 26 my biggest fear at the time was when i call these folks back what are they going to say are they going to say hey forget it we tried that once Mm -hmm. they could not get it back involved faster fast enough okay uh and again from the mayors to the governors to the nfl ownership to the mls ownerships to the cvbs everybody and that's maintained in fact, I'd say it's it's even grown. So to me, that just tells you that the underlying health and, and commitment around this sport, okay, is as strong as it's ever been. It's for us folks to, to figure out how to capitalize on it. Uh, and it's not just about making money off of it, but how do we capitalize on it to use this game uh, in a positive way? And that to me is where the opportunity is. But it's you've never had enough of the right people at the table to do it than you have right now.
1: Mm.
3: Yeah, yeah, John, I just had a quick question, uh, follow-up talking about legacy and benchmarks and stuff. Is there a sense because I, I don't know a ton about Canadian soccer, but it sort of burst onto the scene a little bit with you know Alfonso Davies, obviously the MLS team's. I yeah, had remarkable
0: n- news with him yesterday as a, as a UN ambassador, and he yeah. was part of our United Bid effort and obviously the yeah. Byron player, which is close to my heart. Uh, but no, he uh, he's a remarkable story
3: yeah um so i'm just curious if in canada the federation and just sort of the soccer powers that be up there are looking at this as sort of their 94 moment as it were as a real launch pad and is that fair to say that they're maybe at that level
0: yeah i i think so i mean they had tremendous success as host of the of the women's world cup And, Mm -hmm. and i think it was that experience that really demonstrated to them okay that they're ready to take it to a next level and You know, and I would say, in terms of the development of the of the game and the maturity of it, there, okay, I think your your comparison is accurate. I mean, their league and everything is maybe is a bit younger than where we were, you know, with with the U.S. So I think they're still, you know, in a a new, earlier stage of development, and they certainly see this and hosting it in three cities uh, as an opportunity to really, you know, jumpstart it so that they. Uh, can hopefully, you know, take advantage of the opportunity and continue to grow things. But yeah, I think that's a good comparison that you make.
2: Grail? Yeah, John, um, one of your many clients at uh, Premier Partnerships is Bayern Munich, Mm -hmm. uh, a club that we talk a lot about on the show and have tremendous respect for. And we were just curious if you could give us a sense of, you know, what types of initiatives you're involved with with them over in the United States in terms of promoting the brand over here.
0: Sure. They, I tell you, they've been a, a fantastic uh, partner to us and client. I'm not just saying that because they are a client of ours. Uh, you know, that, that's you can I, I I said pre pre-COVID, you could go down Park Avenue and, you know, probably within a, a two block radius. You know, you probably come across offices for you know six to eight of, of the top clubs in the world. I think they all saw or see the potential for what the, the U.S. market can bring them. Uh, but you know, I, I really give credit to uh, to Byron they, they were here early first and they've really invested. I mean, they, they have a, a full team here that, that are focused on building their brand, engaging with fans, but doing it step by step. It's, it's not an exercise for them where they're just hoping people are just going to start writing checks for them. Uh, that's really not the way they, they've approached and they're tremendous partners, uh, obviously they're not here on a physical presence every day. They're on our screens, which is fantastic. But, you know, the, the club is only here. They only bless us with an appearance, you know, uh, on occasion when a tour comes around. Uh, so their team in the U.S. also focuses a lot of, on that. But they've been like when their, their most recent tour, which I guess was what two years ago now, uh, the, the amount of activation they did in every city they visited, you know, down at the grassroots level, you know, talking to the youth, being involved with the, the local city governments, you know, making commitments, really trying to, to, to demonstrate themselves as long-term partners uh, to, to, to build the, uh, to build the brand and to continue to grow their fan base, and it doesn't hurt that they're arguably the most successful club in the world right now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of their, their on-field performance. Uh, so for us, it's been a, a great relationship. We've got some exciting things hopefully you know coming up in the future uh you know with the club's continued success and we even during a challenging time with uh you know with COVID, have been able to bring them some additional partners uh into their uh into their roster uh on the on the commercial side so it's a, it's a good relationship and uh again I, I applaud them for the way they've uh, invested in the uh, uh relationship
1: well you see the you know the united states and china are obviously these two huge markets that these teams want to move into it seems like uh you know the fenway partners there they have uh, the red sox sort of liverpool alliance you have NYCFC with man city yep. does Bayern have an alignment with the team that the that they're they're trying to align themselves with or just is it through is it through just public relations and or camps or what are, what are the uh, sorts little, of things they It's they're a doing? little bit of
0: both. I mean, they certainly have some alliances uh, that they are very proud of. I mean, they, they work closely with the, the folks uh, at FC Dallas uh, oh. where, where they have, they have a partnership there. I, I know they are, even starting to develop uh, their thinking around the, the, the women's team as well uh, within Bayern. So, yeah, they they believe in partnerships. And uh, I uh, have seen nothing but, you know, commitment whenever they do enter a partnership. They, they don't look at things on, on a short-term basis uh, at all. That's and so and you're right. I think all of the, the, the clubs, you know, they kind of have those bookends there where we've got to be in China. And we've we've got to have a plan for China. And I think, you know, over the past decade, I think that's probably – generated more initiative for a lot of the clubs and i think they've now come around and part of it is probably the 26, you know world cup and things of that sort where they said listen the u.s is a market that we need to be in uh they're seeing what we're all seeing you know they're seeing that this in theory in arguably is i think the biggest soccer economy in the world uh is in the u.s it's just under a different lens than a lot of other different markets because it is very fragmented you know it's not just you know, through your your FA, through your national team, through your, you know, your, your league down to your local club that, that you grew up here. It's, right. you know, it's everything from my La Liga passion to my Bayern or Bundesliga passion to uh, Club America. You know, there's so many different touch points for the sport here. So, but I think they've all accepted we have to be here. Uh, because there's just too much, uh, too much opportunity and too much demand for the sport right
1: now. Well, and plus, look at us old horses. We we've, we've watched the progress that's happened in this country. You mentioned FC Dallas and their alignment with Bayern. Um, they're p- pumping out a lot of great american players right now um, yep. you know uh, homegrown players and they're doing well in the bundesliga so uh, yep. that that's a that's an alignment that seems to be paying off and making some yeah. sense with certain players even our north american friend alonzo davis uh, great article in new york times seems like a wonderful kid uh, un ambassador <laughs> now what a player huh yeah
0: you know i there's not many players i can say have met him you know I spent some time with him but uh when we gave the final presentation to FIFA at the congress uh before the World Cup in Russia uh we had the we had a player from each country uh represented to be part of our speaking delegation and Alfonso uh represented the Canadians but just an absolutely wonderful person and this was before you know kind of the Byron day it was just you know the story of, of where he came from and how he uh, got into the sport uh, and how he excelled with the sport and the character of the person. Uh, it was really impressive. And he sat next to me during the uh, the presentation where uh, and the, the final voting and everything else, and just to see how emotionally involved he was uh in the world cup and to be able to celebrate it with him uh uh that was that was great memory for me it really was yeah it's nice to see, to see.
1: it's it's nice to see yeah. it, it really yeah, is yeah. and it, especially you know it's a good story. With such humble beginnings that's not even the word for it humble beginnings such yeah. a, a difficult start i think they in with a guiana in a um yeah. and a there's some youtube videos
0: and... there's some documentaries that were done before you know he, he went to byron Okay, and now he's obviously at a much higher, higher profile. But to go on, go online and, and find some of the stories that were done on it—just, it really, it's, it's impressive. It's emotional shots,
1: so and it's the big world things. It's the real, the real stuff that matters. And yeah. and not only that, but he—he uh, he was a man among boys, playing against the U.S. men's <laughs> national team up there, Canada, man. It was unbelievable watching him. So uh, we're grateful he's to, a good person. He is fun to watch. He, yeah, he is fun to watch. All right, well, John Christie, it's been so great getting caught up with you. Thanks for uh, filling us well, in on what's happening. My pleasure. The, 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 I mean, there's so many machinations, so much to worry about, so much to think about that uh, it's nice to get a uh, an overall view on on things. And we're really happy that things are still moving forward and and uh, soccer can it's save the good world, hands. as there's we say. a
0: lot of real talented people. I and mean, again, FIFA's really got the resources Again, says they know the importance, U.S. soccer, Canada, Mexico, the cities, the, all the pieces are there. Uh, and it's, again, COVID getting behind us. Uh, hopefully, we're, you're really going to start to see the the acceleration uh, right. over the coming months and years.
1: All right. Well, great. John Christick, President of Premier Partnerships, thank you so much for joining us once again on Over the Ball. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Have a good day. Hey, remember to tweet us at OverTheBall, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. How great uh, getting caught up with John Christic, Boy, he uh, he's right in the thick of it, isn't he, Grail? Right in that yeah, it's, business it's, world of yours.
2: I mean, I was going to say, guys, is there ever a better time than to be kind of promoting a World Cup that brings three countries together in this highly polarized world we live in? I just mm. feel like you know i'm not sure where we're going to be in 26 but i just feel like just to be talking about this the fact that you're going to have three countries unified for this i think i think the timing of it could be fabulous
3: it's a great deal Good. i think Thanks. we may you know we talk about the liga mx mls uh, you know possibility i think we may see this happen other places too where it's been talked about like a you know belgium holland league a scandinavian
1: mm-hmm. league right. austria
3: switzerland kind of thing i think those would make a lot of sense and they're all
1: still closer than our domestic leagues when you have yeah, to from New York to LA. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, you know, but speaking about all this, everything is dwarfed by the NFL. Um, okay. Grail, did you see this new NFL uh, deal that was uh, it's, put in it's, huge it, monster numbers, but it's against streaming services and stuff. Well, I don't get the bet.
2: Well, it's staggering, but it's not because it's the NFL and, you know, having worked with a lot of the leagues when I was at SI, it was really the NFL and everybody else. And that's the way it's always been. So they got $110 billion deal approximately over oh 10 years. And, uh, and, you know, ABC is getting another divisional game. They're also getting two Super Bowls, future Super Bowls. So in addition to Monday Night Football, they're getting back in the game with a couple Super Bowls. Um, you know, NBC, CBS, Fox, um amazon's coming on board they're going to be kind of the exclusive thursday night partner um in terms of streaming the games um so the rich are getting richer and uh, again there's just nothing to even compare it to because the other leagues just this just dwarfs everything but the but the ratings back it up that's the number one thing right is, right you know every sunday night during football season, Sunday Night Football is runaway the best rated program on TV on Sunday night. So I mean again, football generally is the top rated program at any given hour that it's running. So Yeah, I used so to that, the numbers. Yeah.
3: Is this showing that like the NFL doesn't even need to get into streaming as much as other leagues or I th-
2: I think it's showing Sam that the NFL still has a very sizable audience on linear TV. So the traditional traditional yeah. TV, they they mm-hmm. still are pulling amazing ratings. They will get into streaming because they need to be there and they can get a ton of money from Amazon. I mean Amazon's the deal with them is in the billions for just the streaming part of it. So um you know again, the NFL has everybody coming to them too. That's the other mm-hmm. thing people have to realize is the NFL just it operates from a position of strength that is so far beyond any other league.
1: Well, yeah. and we always, you know, I thought the concussions and all kinds of stuff was going to sort of change it. The viewership would be down and it's just not, and it's just the big gorilla you can't get around. Yeah. I used to root sort of against it. Now I think in some ways, I think they've looked at MLS as a great complement to a lot of these uh, NFL teams, you know, or that there's, there's enough viewership out there for everybody. I think, I, th- for a long time, I felt like they were just trying to keep the league down a little bit. I used to not be happy when a when an NFL team owner would buy, uh, you know, an MLS franchise. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just me. So Sam, what do you got? Anything else? Yeah, sorry, no quiz
3: on? this week. Didn't quite get it together. Oh, sorry, um, didn't there. bring my pencil. There was an article uh, I thought was interesting in the New York Times this week, because this is something we we talk a lot about in soccer, but uh, specifically mm. about the NHL being uh, very interested in bringing in the Latino audience. and That's the uh, National
1: Hockey League to some of our yeah. soccer listeners out there. and uh,
3: You know, really trying to be more proactive about reaching out to the Latino community. And um, yeah. I thought that was curious because I don't hear a ton about that with U.S. soccer, although you guys are telling me. The game the other night was, uh, you know, there were a lot of Hispanic players, which is good to yeah. hear. Yeah. But um, I also thought it was interesting that in a few markets, one of which is L.A., you know, they actually broadcast the games in Spanish. And uh, yeah. apparently they do, you know, the very the famous goal call for goals. Of course and, they uh, do.
1: Of course they do.
3: And uh, I don't know we, we talk about that a lot in terms of how you apply one style of announcing to uh, another sport.
2: And uh, so, I don't know, some interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it's a way to pull people in, Sam, you know, that, that, that's like familiar kind of, you know, commentary language for the fan that they're trying to attract. And again, I think they're they're probably banking on the fact that look, the population uh, in this country sooner rather than later later is going to be predominantly uh, non white. Mm -hmm. And so why not kind of put breadcrumbs out there to see if you can start attracting people to a sport that otherwise hasn't had a lot of, you know, following within the Hispanic population.
1: Yeah. It's just like uh, you yeah. know premier partnerships and and John Cristico with Bayern you know they're just yeah. trying to to see the seed the uh see the seeds of uh, of interest so but you know like Gra- grail and Sam we've always talked about on this show about the broadcasting and how we need to put our stamp on it i think that that's part of it we're going to have an amalgamation of some latino sort of influences and american influences from hockey mm-hmm. from you know it, it can come this way as well and i Again, I just don't think we've gone there yet with U.S. broadcasts. So, um, you know, so. All right, boys. Well, that's a, that was a very enlightening over the ball. I hope everybody enjoyed it. It's a big I'd word like to... for you. Enlightening. Yes, really. <laughs> <laughs> over the ball is three big words for that me. That was four huh? syllables for you, Floyd. That's so, you know. <laughs> all right. So so good stuff. Some great friendlies coming up. We'll talk about them uh, on our next edition of Over the Ball. Also. Yeah. So Sunday we got Jamaica. In Jamaica, we've got Northern Ireland, we've got uh, the U.S. playing. Uh, I mean, I am curious, I will say, I
2: know, you know, you, you think I disparage friendlies, but I am curious to see how some of these players mesh together the politics and, you know, of the world, because we haven't really seen much of that.
1: Well, so I'm saying friendlies are not friendlies when you're moving towards Olympic qualifying. It's like again to go back to sort of the the, or the a world uh, cup qualifier. Or yeah, and it's like the what I was saying. We're talking about the women's world cup team that yeah. t- doing a tour that against teams that they're not even qualifying. They're just playing teams. It's 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 uh, it's interesting. It's tough to keep your focus. But after we don't qualify for a world cup in the last go round. Yeah, every friendly is pretty much a high-stakes game, I think. It, it, it'll,
2: just in closing, it'll be interesting to see if the men don't win on Sunday, and gosh, let's hope they, they beat Canada or Honduras. If they yeah. don't qualify, what impact that has. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm oh, just, it, I'll it'll, be yeah. curious to see if it has how resounding an impact it has. Obviously, it will not be anywhere close to not qualifying for a world
1: cup yes but it, it it affects the growth of players to play in big tournaments to be in the big game you know uh with all that experience and we've missed out the last couple so all right that's all the time we have today guys I'd like to thank our guest john christick from premier partnerships for sam griswold and grail Hallett. i'm kevin flynn and we'll talk to you next time on otb